Hi, everyone. I'm so excited for episode five of the Stories podcast. We have our first guest today, and she could not be more perfect for this first episode. I've told you guys in the past, but when I have guests on this podcast, I want it to be comfortable, and I want it to be a conversation, and I want it to remind myself and you all of those great conversations you have over coffee or at a wine night or with the random person sitting next to you on the plane, those conversations that you just wish you could take with you forever and record and refer back to. That's what I want each episode of this podcast to feel like, specifically those where I get to talk with somebody else and learn from them. And today we are going to be talking to Alexis Cumby. She is a storyteller, political strategist, and poetess originally from Birmingham, Alabama. She's the founder of Literary Vibes Birmingham, which is an incredible, incredible organization. And she's passionate about increasing Southern literacy rates through the use of poetry, spoken word, civic dialogue, and music. She graduated from the University of Alabama, where she's currently a graduate student in communication studies with an emphasis on rhetoric and political discourse. Alexis is the inaugural fellow for the Center of Community-Based Partnerships, working to engage Southeastern communities and students through service-based learning initiatives. She has twice served in the Office of Congresswoman Terry Sewell, most recently as a member of the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation's 2019 cohort. And she is a rock star. That part was not written out, but is really important to say. She is somebody that for me was a resource when I felt like everyone was trying to use me as a resource. There's a lot of times where I've spoken with my Black friends just about, you know, during times when you know, Black people are being murdered by, by the police and social media is erupting. Sometimes you want to have everything to do with it and sometimes you're exhausted and you want to break your phone in half and never check social media again. And, and she was somebody that really kept me strong during those times when I was at really low lows and when I felt like I didn't feel like educating anybody anymore. She was still churning out resources, churning out information, um, and I didn't really see any sort of fault or lack in her judgment or in her energy. And I'm sure she had those personally, and I hope we get to talk about that a little bit today. But I was just amazed by her strength, and I couldn't have thought of anyone better to, to introduce you all to for, for our first episode of the podcast where we get to have a guest. So I hope you enjoy. I am so nervous because this is the first one and I just hope that, that it's everything that, that I hope it's going to be. I know Alexis is going to be perfect. So, so I hope that this is helpful for you. Um, and I hope that you learn something from this conversation, but I also hope that you feel like you're just sitting there with us and that you're getting to, to engage in this conversation too. And, and whether you already know everything that's going to be said, or this is your first time hearing a lot of this, I think that it should touch everybody because it is definitely going to touch my heart and my spirit and, and just the energy of this podcast that I hope continues to, to do so well. Okay. Hey, Alexis, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for being uh, my first guest on the Stories Podcast. I've told you this a million times, but I'm so pumped to have you. Um, I have admired you for a long time, and I'm excited for the listeners to get to hear from you, too. And I know I told you a bit about this before on a call, but, um, you know, the reason that I wanted you to be on here is because I want the guests on the podcast not only to be people that the listeners can learn from, but selfishly, I want to learn from you too. And I have questions. Um, so <laughs> I, I just think that you're a perfect fit and I'm so excited to, to chat with you today. Well, hey, thank you for having me. I, I'm, I really admire this podcast and you as well. So the feeling is mutual and I'm just excited. It's, it's a good day. It's a good day to learn and I'm, I'm really happy to be here. 
Oh my gosh, me too. I'm smiling so big right now, even though you obviously can't see me. Uh, well, like I said before too, the reason that I, I'm having guests on the podcast is because, and I know you said you felt like this in some situations, but you know, when you just have such a good conversation with somebody like over coffee or over a walk or on the side of the street, and you just kind of wish that you could have recorded it or kept parts of the conversation with you, you like don't want to miss a beat of it. And I'm really hoping that this episode and the ones that come in the future can feel like those conversations um, for the listeners and for us, because I just feel like that's more comfortable and that's something that people would actually want to listen to. Um, so, you know, because of that, I, I want this to be natural and I want this to be comfortable. And I just want to hear and start off by hearing a little bit more about you. I've already given kind of a rough background, but I think it'd be great to hear it kind of from your mouth and, you know, what it was like to be a person of color in your environment. I know you were born and raised in Birmingham, so so I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a lifelong daughter of Birmingham, Alabama. Um, you know, it's the heart of the civil rights movement um, in America, and so it means a lot for me to be from Birmingham, and I feel like I channel that sort of Birmingham Magic City energy in the work that I do, just to make sure that um, people are educated not only about the history that Birmingham has contributed to, but um, mm -hmm. that people are aware that we are all walking pieces of history. Um, and so as we develop um, our interpersonal connections and relationships, making sure that we are um, just, just keeping this history at the forefront and keeping learning as a priority in our lives, that's super important to me. And so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of where I come from. And it is my hope that um, I can learn where everyone else is from and, and see the culture and the history that they contribute to as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And that reminds me too of, of something that stood out to me about you is I remember, so around the time when George Floyd was murdered and there were a lot of Black Lives Matter movements going very strong, I remember for me personally and some other friends that I spoke with at that time, for lack of a better word, I was honestly just pissed. And I really didn't feel like taking, I, I had so little energy left speaking personally. I didn't really feel filled up enough to educate people, right? And to like take the time to provide them with resources and to take the time to explain to them um, the proper way to speak and, and, you know, the proper way to kind of handle different situations. But something that I noticed about you and that I kept just thinking like, dang, like this girl's got a lot of energy or something. <laughs> and, and I really tried to learn as much as I could for you because you have these incredible graphics that you made on your Instagram, which I'll link on, on the podcast Instagram later so people can see. But one was focusing on Alabama voting. Another one was inappropriate phrases, you know, regarding our current climate. And another one was decolonizing social media. And, and, you know, I've seen you repost other things and things like that. So can you just talk to me a little bit more about first off, why you did that, you know, where you found that energy, where was your spirit? Because I think I needed some of it. Um, and, you know, kind of how that plays into the way that you live every day. Right. Um, well, oh, first, I want to acknowledge your point about how it, it's draining to see um, Black people traumatized and, and murdered at, at such an astronomical rate especially when we're seeing videos and things like that emerge on social media, when you can just be scrolling, trying to have a good time, and that's something that comes across. Um, we haven't even found the full language, really, to, to talk about what that does to the body and what it does to the Black body. Um, and so in some people, it's going to cause us to freeze. It, it's going to cause us everyone to grieve. Um, and, and certainly, it's going to cause some of us to sort of uh, step forward and teach. Um, and I think that anytime we're going to see an incident happen, um, 
out of those three options, like no one's gonna teach every single time. No one's gonna um, be at the forefront of, of the knowledge and making sure that we're sort of giving commentary at the same time because no one has to interview, right? Um, and so just wanna affirm to all of the, the black people out there who felt the same feelings that you had, which was, you know, I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's such a natural response. Like that, mm-hmm. that's um, one that I had as well. Um, but I, I know that my, sometimes when I'm tired, it manifests itself into what can I do? Um, because I know that my people are tired as well. Um, and so my first post started with five phrases that are not excuses when um, people are dying for their lives and people are fighting for their lives. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really important to me because one thing that contributed to my um, growing tiredness was the ways in which dominant communities were responding to black trauma on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was just things like, well, I'm not really political, so I don't want to. Yeah. Um, and for black people whose existence is already so innately political, um, we don't have that privilege. Um, and so I felt I, I was hosting conversations with some of my black friends. Um, and as we just discussed some of these common phrases that people brought up, um, and we just agree, like, it, you know, it would be easier if, if we had a response to this. Um, and so I sort of wrote down what were the common phrases that I've been seeing on social media that sort of uh, pissed me off. <laughs> and um, how would I respond if I was in the room? Because realistically, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people that are saying this aren't people that I follow um, anymore. It's not people that I'm in the room with. And if I was, they probably wouldn't have the guts to say it. But they're saying yeah. it. Um, and so... Um, I wanted to create something that people can just sort of share and educate people on um, why their response, why they should take a different approach to what's happening mm-hmm. on social media. Um, so that was really important to me. I'm, I'm glad that uh, it touched you. I hope that it was able to be sort of a tool of education for um, your followers. And I think seeing that one go viral um, yeah. was so important to me more than mm-hmm. anything else I've ever posted. Um, because I think it it was just a really great timing to sort of equip people with the language to educate others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was amazed by that. And what was funny was I was already following you on Instagram through, I mean, I don't <laughs> even know who, I probably just like followed you because I thought you looked great. And I was seeing those posts all over people's stories. And I'm talking about people that like, I mean, I maybe, maybe I went to elementary school with, maybe I went to middle school with them. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I know this name. And then I realized that I already followed you and that we had so many mutual friends and it really did go viral. That's the perfect way to describe it. And I was so amazed by that. And I was having a conversation with one of my friends the other day because she got a DM that wasn't kind about something she was posting because she's really (laughs) one of those people who, she's one of the people that is not only reposting what you post, but commenting, putting it on Facebook, putting it on Twitter. She's really a huge fan of yours. Um, And somebody DM'd her and said, you know, all these people are unfollowing you. Who are you even sharing this for? If you feel like everybody that follows you thinks the same way you do. And, and I kind of thought that way too, thinking about all the people that maybe I've unfriended or unfollowed because I didn't like what they were saying. It was bringing me down. I'm a firm believer that you should only, you know, follow people and organizations on social media that build you up because it can be really toxic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for you, you know, not knowing that was going to go viral in the first place. Have you ever felt that or worried like, okay, I'm only talking to people who think like me, or how do you make sure that, that you get a little bit further than that to make sure you're actually making a change? I think absolutely. I've felt that because um, on social media, we, we build these echo chambers that sort of affirm our thoughts. Um, but in retrospect, um, cause I, I thought a lot about this. And so yeah. 
we follow people who affirm our beliefs, that doesn't also, that doesn't necessarily mean that the people who follow us affirm our beliefs. Um, and there are people who are very interested in sort of having this diversity and free exchange of thought on um, their social media. And I think it just comes back to what's the purpose of your social media. Um, and let's be clear, I have social media profiles that are just like literally just for my enjoyment. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not even like, and like, I mean, some would like literally call them, um, like I'm thinking about my TikTok, for example, where right. I am following like a million people and I have like two followers and I don't post right. absolutely anything. The whole <laughs> purpose of this, of, the, yeah. of my account is to lay low and to find things that I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people who have that. Um, some people don't have social media accounts that are sort of um, equipped for learning. And so I think one interesting thing that I've seen during quarantine um, are the emergence of people reconsidering and reconstructing their social media to be um, not so much so focused on activism, but focused mm -hmm. and centered on learning. Um, yeah. And so when we have quarantine coupled with uh, Black Lives Matter and and the horrible deaths and murders of um, of black bodies, I think it was the perfect stage for this sort of learning that we're that we're seeing. Um, yeah. But going back to the the idea of making echo chambers, um, there's uh, there's so many people who are always going to follow people that I will never interact with. Um, and so even if you have that one follower who's willing to share something, they're going to share, it and their grandparents are going to see it, and their grandparents might share it with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, people that we would never see. So it's important that we have this um, exchange of knowledge because it, it, the, more sh the more you share it, the more it does create a platform um, for someone else. And so I think of a retweet, I think of a week, ooh, sorry. Mm -hmm. I think of a retweet as yeah. sort of um, an endorsement of knowledge when it comes to uh, the conversation. And so... I just think it's important that we share share things mm -hmm. that we didn't necessarily think of. And um, and lastly, when we have this sort of information, um, it's not enough just to share it on social media and to never include it in our everyday conversations. So mm -hmm. the goal is um, when we are finally able to meet in person, um, these are the things that people are still gonna be saying. Um, and previously, when, you, when a person might have been urged to sit silent um, because they didn't know how to respond, now they'll have those responses. So just yeah. making sure that, you know, even when we like share these things, we're taking it outside of social media and having these conversations. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And that plays into something else that I admire about you, which is your community involvement. Like you love Birmingham. And I think anybody <laughs> that touches your Instagram <laughs> knows that you love Birmingham. Um, and I do too. But, you know, I think that's something that, and I know you also love being in Washington, D.C. and you've had really incredible experiences here too. So. And, and for me personally, I think it's always a little bit easier to, to rep a place like Washington, D.C., right? Because I feel like I'm surrounded by a lot of people who think the way that I do. I feel empowered by the people here. Um, but it's a little bit harder for me personally to, to hype up Huntsville, Alabama, because it's just a little bit different. You know what I mean? And it's, it's different kinds of people and it's, it's not as many um, as I feel like here. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you how you use the things that you teach people in your daily life, not only, you know, the way you did at school and the way you do in your job, but like, you know, all your, all the things you started in Birmingham, why do you feel like that's so important to, to bring those people together? Mm, I, you know, we call Birmingham the magic city and I really do <laughs> agree that it's a magical place. Um, and I love Huntsville too, cause I'm a huge space nerd. So that's just mm -hmm. a side note for you all. Come on. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um,
Um, I think my, my love for Birmingham was instilled in me sometime around my um, high school experience when I started doing poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and Birmingham has this really great um, renaissance when it comes to renaissance scene when, when it comes to poetry. Um, young folks are doing poetry, old folks are doing poetry, and everyone in between. And um, being able to plan literary vibes, which gathered young artists and creatives Um, not just in in Birmingham, but across the Southeast for the intention of listening to what Birmingham poets have to say. Um, That event specifically just reminded me of of the genius of our culture that exists in Birmingham. And ever since then, um, being able to have that network of people behind me who are just so um, invested in making sure that Birmingham voices are heard um, being in that environment has just really taught me of the beauty that exists in my city. And so um, it really is an honor to be from Birmingham. Uh, I know you're from Huntsville, but I'm going to say <laughs> it's the best, the best city in, in Alabama. Um, and so it, it really is a distinct honor to be from there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on it. I do love, I do love <laughs> me some Birmingham too. There's a reason my parents and I go there like every other weekend. Um, but okay, great. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. And, and so proud of you for the things that you started there, because I think, and this is coming from somebody, I am creative in different ways. I wouldn't call myself an artist. I wish that I was. Um, so it's interesting <laughs> to hear you talk about art and, and using that not only to make your community feel welcome and loved, but also to teach too. I feel like you really use everything that you're interested in and everything that you do to, to always come back to teaching. Um, so can you talk to me just a little bit more about, you know, how you teach people through that or how you felt like it's, it's maybe taught you something? Is there anything you've learned from, from really opening up that art space within Birmingham? Yeah, so you talk about how um, sometimes it's hard for you to identify as an artist. It's, it's hard for me to identify as an educator. Um, And I was not labeled that until I started sort of crafting these infographics and um, someone was introducing me to someone else and she was like, they're a storyteller, artist, and then educator. Um, Mm -hmm. And that just shook me because um, um, what I have done, I I knew that it was teaching people things, but for some reason I just never adopted the formal title, title of what it means to educate someone. Mm. Um, And so that's a a new sleeve that I'm wearing that I'm still trying to get used to. Uh, because for, before all of these infographics, a lot of the the um, teaching, so to say, that I facilitated has been so informal. Um, it's just been an everyday conversation. It's just been because we were in the same room together. It hasn't been me showing up somewhere somewhere with the intention of um, educating someone. Um, and so that's new for me. Um, but I think that I, I just feel like um, one of the best ways to sort of facilitate this knowledge is to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that was on my social media accounts. Um, I, I wasn't really interested in adopting any sort of a platform or, or um, going to give a, a TED talk or anything at that point. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, what can I do right now in the, in the age of where everything is virtual and everyone is isolated? How do I connect communities? Um, and that was my goal. And even if I didn't necessarily educate someone, even if I just reminded someone, um, that was enough for me. The, the whole goal was how can I push this to the forefront of everyone's minds right now um, so that we can really recalibrate our energy? Um, how can I sort of take the load off of um, Black people who are feeling hopeless? Um, and how in the same space can I 
uh, educate um, others without the the um, extended trauma that it takes to sort of sit into a room and listen to people debate your humanity. Um, and yeah. so this is not a debate. This was not a debate. It was Alexis said what she said and she posted it. Um, and then if there was a comment that or someone was just being combative, I was like, okay, great, delete. <laughs> um, okay, perfect. And so, yeah, and that was how I was able to protect my peace because it was one yeah. of those things where, you know, I, I said what I said and, and um, I said what I meant. And mm. so, um, yeah, I, I was really grateful for how these infographics have sort of uh, pushed pushed this information um, into the the forefront of conversations that people are having in the living rooms today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that takes a lot of courage too, because something that I've noticed just through my peers and and what people have been posting is that sometimes not everyone is kind about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and not everyone wants to build you up. And, and that's a lot of, I think there are a lot of black people who have a little bit of fear with that, especially if, you know, they've got people following them that think exactly the way they do. And then like we were talking about, then we've got people's grandparents who might think differently or, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of those extended realms that might think differently. So it's a really scary, um, yeah, it's a scary thing to do on the other side of it. I think you can feel really excited and really invigorated at first. Um, and then like, maybe you get one negative comment and that could really shake you a little bit. So were there any instances like that, that you, that, that really shook you, or did you just kind of automatically block those out and, and focus on your mission? <laughs> um, Cause I can get, I can get shaken was... up pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there, there was, uh, just one instance where, um, so I like to spell folks. Um, so some traditionally it's spelled I saw F-O-L-K-S. That. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I spell it F-O-L-X. Um, okay. and, and that X represents marginalized communities and it's very intentional way, um, mm. to say, um, Hey, like I, I'm thinking about you and, um, sometimes we're so, oh, and wow. this goes back to how um, people are so focused on um, gendered language mm-hmm. and how, you know, one way that I can just send sort of a, a signpost and a message um, to those who are transgender, non-binary, um, or, or just anyone um, who's yeah. sort of figuring out their gender identity, um, th- that, that X means a lot. Um, and so someone uh, commented and was like, why the X? Y'all are just creating language, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I could have blocked them, but I mean, I think that was a very easy opportunity to say, Hey, this is what it, this is what it means. This is what, um, I'm intentional about doing. And maybe you should incorporate this into your vocabulary if it interests yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not just something that it's not just a typo that Alexis just, um, uh, typed up and, and sent out and was just like, yeah, I don't care to fix it. It was very intentional. And, um, and that was just one example of like what it means to sort of have that conversation. Um, and, and yeah, they were pretty rude about it. Um, my response wasn't that rude, but also one thing that I saw was a lot of other people, um, sort of commented under his comment and was just like, Hey, like, why why don't you look it up before you expect people to sort of educate you all the time? And that was a point that, um, a lot of people don't, don't think about before you drop that rude comment or just think people are crazy or, um, just, just absolutely, um, um just just not thinking mm-hmm. um why don't you just google it because <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like the first thing <laughs> let's that comes do a up. quick google <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like good, the first good. thing that comes up so it's like why did it take you know why did you have to do all that um right and so 
I was glad that people that I didn't even know, just people who had saw the post and saw the comment was like, yo, dude, like what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard line to balance too, right? To teach people, but then to also make sure that you're still being respected in that and that people are respecting you. And, you know, if you need to go deeper, then, then look it up and then come back with a conversation instead of coming to you, you know, expecting answers to, to everything when really he probably didn't want to answer. He was probably just trying to, to stir something up, but that's a really awesome point. And something else that's so interesting to me is, you, you know, I went to Auburn and you went to Alabama, so it's hard, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm so interested to hear just, just, you know, as much as you'd like to share, like, what was your experience like going to the University of Alabama? Was it everything that you expected it to be and more? Were there times that experiences left you really filled up and really hopeful or times where you felt really disappointed that kind of maybe have activated you to be the person that you are now? Mm, so a lot of people don't know this about me, but I was actually um, committed to going to Howard. Um, really? Before UA. Yes. Yeah. So um, got my acceptance letter, got a scholarship. It was just not enough to justify the cost of going yeah. to D.C. out of state intuition. Um, and, and sort of right before um, I had to make the decision, Alabama offered me um, more money. And I was like, OK, going to Bama. Um, right. It is what it is. And um, and so. I bring that up just to say that I never in a million years dreamed of um, dreamed of doing the things that I was able to do at Bama. And looking back in retrospect, I'm so glad that I went to the University of Alabama because I think it taught me things that, um, that I've just found so useful. I think a lot of the opportunities um, that I've had were directly related to my, my, my time and experience learning at the University of Alabama. Um, and at the same time, you know, I, I love my university, but we have things that we have to work on, like every other university, and specifically for making space for um, Black students. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just being a, a Black person, a Black woman at the University of Alabama, a predominantly white institution, um, I, I had those microaggressions um, uh, thrown against me, and, um, and just, I just had to learn how to navigate those. Um, for a person like me who wants to go into politics, I don't think mm -hmm. there's any better um, training ground for Alabama politics than the, than the University of Alabama um, because it's so rooted in, in that community and as well as Auburn as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, it's one of those things, I get this question all the time and I just, you know, I left my university, but we got some things that we just have to pull together and I'm thankful for the opportunity that I was there um, and still there for graduate school, but I'm thankful mm -hmm. for the opportunity to sort of um, be a part of the change that I want to see. Um, but I, I also know that the work that needs to happen is going to extend long before, um, it's going to extend long after my time then. So I'm just proud of how uh, Black women and, and Black students are getting things done on campus. Mm -hmm. And and I'm, I'm thankful for a willingness of the administration to sort of like hear us out and, uh, and things like that. So. Yeah, yeah, that's so good and important. I feel very similar about Auburn. I mean, I love that school mm. more than a lot of things, you know what I mean? And there were <laughs> not every experience was always great and sunshine. Um, but but it really spoke to me when you said the so so many opportunities and learning experiences that happen going to a school, going to a predominantly white school as an African-American female specifically. Um, it's a lot of learning experiences that that maybe I didn't feel like I wanted to go through at the time but it have definitely sharpened me personally, and I can definitely tell it's done the same for you. Um, and, you know, in some ways, I feel like I've gained 
you know, so many unbelievable friends and so many allies and so many, you know, just a foundation of community that I, I don't know how I would have formed that anywhere else. Obviously, it's the only thing that I've ever really seen. So, so that's been important. But I think I've also been challenged in a lot of ways that I could have probably avoided, you know, if I would have gone to mm-hmm. a different school um, or been in a different situation. And but at some point, something that I was talking to my mom about this, actually, that some at some point, you know, you're going to have to experience things that are really tough and that are really hard. And I think it's helpful. I mean, it's not exactly what I what I dream of for my children, but it's helpful to go through <laughs> it earlier on. Because, you know, now I just feel so much stronger than I probably would have been had I been, you know, any more sheltered than I already was and and in situations like that. So I'm glad it seems like you had kind of a similar, a similar experience with going to Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I am a first generation college student. So honestly, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to expect at um, the University of Alabama. I was really blessed to sort of encounter and meet my girl squad um, freshman year. And so we're, we're still best friends today. Um, and and they really carried me um, on their backs, honestly and truly, through some of the hardest times that I had at UA. And so mm. my, my advice to everyone is like, find find your group, find your squad, yeah. find your tribe, uh, because college is really only what you make it. Um, mm-hmm. And and if you don't invest in sort of finding your community and finding who you vibe with and love uh, beyond uh, just like your school, um, beyond just your schoolwork. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't know what college is supposed to be because at one point college is supposed to like teach you things like, yeah, you know, whatever. But, um, but what college <laughs> yeah, really I might have picked up a couple is, things. <laughs> <laughs> right. But what college teaches you is um, the balance of life. How do you begin to love your life in a way that's beyond what you can do for society? Um, mm. and, and sometimes that's just like, OK, I'm going to have a wine night with my friends. Um, and, and be in the presence of community and recalibrate my spirit. I, and sometimes it is doing an essay. But um, to me, I think the most important things for me were, were who were the people that I'm taking outside of this university to become lifelong friends um, as I tra- transition into adulthood. Mm, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And, and leads me to kind of my final thing. What I just want to wrap it up with is, is there any advice that you have for Black women that have been shared with you that you feel like is something that you always revert back to when you're having the best day of your life, when you're having the worst day of your life? Is there, are there any words or, or just anything specifically that you always come back to to keep yourself grounded? Mm, it, it definitely take care of yourself. And mm-hmm. we hear that so often. Um, and we feel like that advice is extended to everyone but ourselves. Um, but we have to give ourselves grace and we have to be able to block folks when they're acting up on our social media <laughs> and we have to, we have to protect our peace um, because we are only as strong as the parts that we preserve. Um, and so in that, I just, I want black women to remember that we don't have to fix the world by ourselves. We don't have to do it all alone. And also if you don't do it, like uh, someone else will. Um, and yeah. so if you need to take a break, um, just as you mentioned earlier, if you are at a point of exhaustion where it is just a lot to sort of uh, pick up the mantle, someone else will. Um, mm-hmm. So so don't feel like that you have to be the person who does it all the time. Um, it'll get done. Um, this work, like I said, at the University of Alabama, but this work in the world that we're trying to do, um, it, it's it's bigger than us. So it, it's it's you're not going to be that one person who changes the world by themselves. It's a community mm-hmm. effort. And so in that, um, preserve the best parts of you and do what you can. Yeah, 
That's awesome. Yeah. And, and just to, to remind you of this for the millionth time when, when I was tired, <laughs> you were definitely that person for me and you were that fighter for me. So thank you for that. Um, and I hope that I can do the same for you at some point. And I think you already are with this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alexis. You're freaking awesome. That was so <laughs> awesome. You are the best first guest I honestly could have dreamed of. And and thank you so much for taking the time out of your super busy schedule to talk to me. Um, and, and I just can't wait for everybody to get to know you and adore you as much as I do. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to hear it. Awesome. Thanks, Alexis.